0: Welcome back to Identity Architects, the podcast that's designed to spotlight pioneers in our industry who are changing the way that data is used to drive more engaging data-driven experiences. I'm your host Ben Chicchetti, and for this episode, our VP of Business Development Valerie Mercurio had the opportunity to chat with Justin Debrayban, SVP of Product at ActionIQ, to discuss the birth of ActionIQ, the early days of CDPs, how CDPs and data clean rooms are complementing each other and much, much more, including a quick discussion about the growing AI phenomenon. Before I hand it over to Val, just a reminder to hit that subscribe button so you know when the latest episodes of Identity Architects land, but without any further delay, here's Val's chat with Justin.
1: Hey, Justin. We are so excited to have you with us today. I have been working with the Action IQ team since basically I started here at InfoSum, so I love getting to talk to new faces on the Action IQ side. But to kind of kick us off, I mean, for anyone who doesn't know you, can you give us a quick introduction to yourself and to Action IQ?
2: Yeah, definitely. And Val, thanks for having me here. Um, Yeah, it's been a great partnership between InfoSum and Action IQ. So we're we're excited for this. Um, so I'm Justin de Brabant. I'm our SVP of product here at Action IQ. Um, I've actually been at the company since the beginning. I was our first employee, so it's been almost nine years now. So I've seen the whole arch of both kind of our company and the broader CDP industry, and you know the, the related industries um, connected to that. Um, my background is in databases and infrastructure, so not a advertising background per se. Um, initially I did a PhD in databases, um, it was right around the time big data was becoming a thing. So I spent some years consulting, um, mostly CIOs and the tech side of the organizations on how to kind of fit new age data architecture into their existing tech stack. Um, spent some misguided years in finance and, and hedge funds, um, and then, uh, Actually, reconnected with our CEO right as he was starting Action IQ, who also has an academic background. So, very much coming at this from the data and data infrastructure point of view. Um, And, you know, Action IQ actually takes a very similar lens, right? From very early on, we weren't a CDP, there was no such thing nine years ago. Um, But the problem we were trying to solve from day one was this idea of, there's a lot of valuable data within these organizations. Um, Historically, that data has been really kind of siloed behind um, you know, the the tech side of the organization, either this infrastructure um, or required more technical resources to get at. People had to know SQL, um, connect directly to these systems. And the data was not really democratized throughout the organization. Right. And so um, again, we weren't called a CDP, but the, the mission was What if we could take a data-first approach to connecting to this infrastructure, ingesting all this rich customer behavioral data, and then providing interfaces and applications for non-technical users throughout the organization to be able to access that data, get insights, build audiences, and ultimately activate that data across their full customer experience ecosystem? Um, So like I said, that was really from day one what we were trying to solve for. And um, now some version of that, um, depending on who you ask is is what the CDP category represents. Um, and that's the the space where we sit in today.
1: Awesome. That is so interesting. And I don't think I realize that in terms of A, how long Action IQ has kind of been in business and thinking back on your nine year journey, that's extremely impressive. And Quite frankly, I mean, I'm thinking through about why it probably makes our team so synergistic in terms of InfoSum was the exact same way when we think about more of an academia lens of how we built and we started building our product seven years ago, really focused on data collaboration, right? Before clean rooms were a buzzword in the ecosystem, we were really focused on what problems do we need to solve for teams and thinking about GDPR and privacy law way before they even started making their way to the US. So I love that answer. That's really interesting.
2: Yeah. And I, I honestly think that the companies have taken a similar approach in that we start with the data and the platforms, right? And, and that's really important. That's not the That's not where the value is added necessarily. For us, it's added through the applications. And for you all, it's added through the actual collaboration mechanisms on top of that. But I think it's really important to start from a data and platform point of view when you're trying to solve for these very Data-intensive use cases, um, because the alternative is starting with an application and then trying to come down. And there's another number of, you know, vendors, big vendors in the space that tend to try to take that approach, and it um, it doesn't usually work as well.
1: Exactly, and especially when we think about marketing and advertising, like Infosum at our core, we were never built to work in the marketing and advertising space until we felt the demand from this side of the business. And then we realized, hey, like this is exactly and, and we refer to ourselves as an infrastructure, quite frankly, of we want to build these tools to make clients' lives easier. So that's awesome.
2: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And you know, actually a similar journey when we um when we first started, the use cases were entirely on the marketing and kind of retention side. So Um, you know, we were dealing with first-party data, primarily authenticated first-party data. So most of our use cases were in loyalty and retention for big B2C brands, right? Um, Initially retail and media, and then more recently financial services and a couple other industries. And um, the way we used to describe things, uh, again, you know, four or five years ago was, well, you know, you have a DMP for acquisition, anonymous users uh, on this side, right? And, um, that's kind of the pillar of technology that you use for your ap- acquisition use cases and th- and it's primarily driven by third-party data, right? And then over here, you have the CDP, which primarily is driven by first-party data. Um, and this is for your retention and loyalty use cases, primarily for authenticated users. And you've had these kind of two technologies supporting the full customer lifecycle. Now, what happened um, is that the foundation of the the DMP technology, cookies and third party cookie syncing, um, went away. Those technologies are going away. And so what kind of shifted was all of a sudden we took a look and said, okay, wow, actually we can support this full life cycle with an emphasis on first party data and increasingly an emphasis on data collaboration and second party data, which is where the partnership with InfoSum comes into play. So we weren't really focused on this space early on. But, you know, two, three years ago when those industry shifts started to happen, um, you know, we embraced this pretty quickly because we realized, hey, everybody's going to have to shift to first party data. This is what we do well. It's just about adding new channels, new use cases, new partnerships on top of this. Um, But, you know, it wasn't part of the original idea of the company.
1: Certainly. And and just how valuable that really becomes when we think about the solutions that our teams have focused on building and then realizing that they just have such a natural fit with the trends of our ecosystem across the board. It makes it that much more synergistic across across both sides. So it's really exciting and it definitely speaks to why, why we have such a great partnership. Absolutely. Um, yeah but to kind of dive into it in terms of getting to know you even though i feel like i've known you for years already um, we do like to start off with some quick fire questions and these are a little bit more about your background and your career but kind of knowing what you know now what would you say to yourself when you first started your career
2: i think i would and and i think that in hindsight i've uh done this well but not intentionally (laughs) is is really try to be ahead of the big trends because I think especially in tech there's just there's this massive uplift in industries and and, in your career if you're in it if you're really part of that kind of initial big wave of the trend and I think a lot of people tend to to chase the trends Um, and what I found again I don't think the most intentionally but I think it's been the most impactful and really accelerating my career has been kind of being on the early stages of these trends. So, you know, early on in my career, it was data infrastructure um, and moving from traditional databases to kind of new SQL, no systems and kind of the modern cloud infrastructure world. Um, then it was CDPs, right? And obviously we helped create that trend. So, um, yeah, obviously I'm a little biased there, but now again, it's this trend toward privacy and death of the cookie and how we embrace more acquisition use cases, and once again, like it's just another boost. Um, and so, yeah, it's just really being conscious about what are the big trends that are coming, and and trying to position you know your career uh, to be part of those. and Certainly, you know AI and generative AI are some of the trends that look like are coming now, and I know much has been discussed about that. So, yes. um, what's what's funny now is these trends are coming faster and faster and faster. So you got to pick and choose for sure.
1: Oh yeah, I heard you asked uh, ChatGPT for that answer. No. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. yeah, but it really I, is I all this through GPT.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. But I couldn't agree more. It's really, and I always think about myself when I first started in my career in like a very client success, I kind of fell into my role on the data side. And I went to school to be a high school math teacher. So when I first started in corporate, it was like hands on keyboard, customer success, let me help like clean first party data from a B2B lens. And it's so interesting as we continue to evolve in our careers, similarly to how I ended up at InfoSum was once I started hearing a lot more about privacy technology and feeling there was gonna be a shift in our ecosystem, that was definitely when I decided to make the move over here. So I couldn't agree more with your response there. Um, And coming off of that, I mean, what do you love about what you do right now and being in our industry?
2: For me, it is about being able to bridge the gap between kind of the the technical buyers and users and the the non-technical buyers and users, the business side of these organizations. So um, in the first part of my career where I was consulting primarily to CIO, CTO organizations, um, I think, honestly, we were part of the problem in that I did all these projects and consulting on these new data lakes, and we never really talked to the business about how these were going to be used. And I think this, there is a collective reckoning around big data that happened where, you know, there was a lot of investment, but not a lot of value realized in that kind of first wave. Um, and having spent, you know, the, the formative part of my career in that early on, um, what's been different is being able to talk to both sides now. Um, and, and in our space, certainly, you know, in every buying conversation, in every use case, there does, there's a discuss, discussion with it and business. And that's cool. Um, because, Data in and of itself is just a cost center. It's expensive, right? I mean, it's great to have data, but it's about the potential that that data can can achieve, not just storing the data. Storing the data is expensive. I think more and more people are realizing as they're looking at their cloud bills um, this year. And uh, but you know, where we said it's about how that data actually turns into value for the organization, and you know, something differentiated for your. The, the brand's customers, right, and, th- and that's really cool.
1: Absolutely. And I say it often where you can have the best data in the world, but if you don't use it efficiently or you don't know how to use it, it's sitting in these silos. It's not worth anything when it definitely could be. And I think the way that Action IQ kind of you look at data and how you really help teams build out that strong data journey. And then from an infosum side on data collaboration and how do we make more use of it in a privacy first way is a really effective tool.
2: Yeah, and I think it's part of this broader shift of data, not just being part of the IT organization, but a whole, a whole company being very, very data centric, right? And everybody yes. having a role in collecting, using, activating that data, um, it's really powerful.
1: Definitely. And especially, I mean, it just, in so many instances, it's so separate. And so I love to hear that you're really working with both the IT side and the business side to build that journey and to actually make the most sense of the data. Because it really is, it has to come from both sides. And I think about it often, kind of as we feel a little bit of a shift where, you know, more technical use cases of data. And I, I feel the separation very often where the person who's coming up with the idea and then the person who's hands on keyboard, they're not aligned. And so it's like, how do we bring them together to make the most sense of this?
2: Yeah, and believe me, we feel that separation too, even though we're still trying to work with those sides. <laughs> And I think that's part because this isn't really just a technology problem. Like, certainly you have to have technology that spans across both sides. But it's about the technology and then the people, process and organization around it. Um, And there has to be good alignment. And I think, you know, a lot of brands are very early on that journey. So it's fun to be part of those conversations. At the same time, it can also be painful to be part of those early conversations where, <laughs> you know, these teams don't even effectively know how to collaborate internally, and we're kind of helping facilitate that. So,
1: yeah, I couldn't agree more on that. Um, and moving into our next quick fire question within advertising, we're obsessed with the concept of identity—the ability to identify individuals across devices and platforms—and you know, how would you explain the term identity to a 10-year-old?
2: Well, I have three girls. Um, I have, uh, my oldest is six, almost seven, and then I have um, four-year-old twins who are about to turn five. So um, the twins are not identical, um, but uh, (laughs) certainly, uh, so I don't know about a 10-year-old, but I can figure out how to communicate this to to my kids. And um, (laughs) they are... They are obsessed with their both kind of, you know, independence from each other, but also um, especially the younger ones really mimicking my older daughter. Um, so they already have a strong sense of, you know, identity. And the uh, the thing I would describe to them is you don't want people to mix you up and assume you're your sister, right? That would be the ultimate offense for them in their world, um, especially for my older daughter. Uh, and so, you know, getting identity right is making sure that you, Amelia, my older daughter, we know that you're not your younger sister Ellie, <laughs> because again, yeah. that would create a lot of tension and conflict.
1: That is honestly one of the best responses I've heard for that question. <laughs> that was very simple. I feel like I'm probably going to use that because half the time I get asked about identity, and I'm like, you know, who you are. <laughs> but you know, like
2: but that, that that's a there's a real world. Problem for me <laughs> when people yes. confuse them. So. I could only I imagine really of that experience.
1: <laughs> yes, I could only imagine. And awesome, being a dad of of three women, so that's that's great. Um, and, you know, kind of back to what we were talking about before with just our consistent industry trends changing, right? Like, you know, we went through a phase 10 years ago, which looks very different from the wave that we're kind of battling today. And so from your lens, what are the things that kind of keep you awake at night?
2: Uh, I mean, luckily I sleep pretty well, honestly, but, uh, (laughs) (laughs) The honest answer is only my kids, if they're not sleeping for some reason. (laughs) If I'm completely honest uh, and it's a quick fire answer, I'm just going to say my kids.
1: (laughs) That's a great one, honestly, and good to know. Um, I guess then on the, the opposite end of that, what are the things that really help you get motivated in the morning?
2: Again, I'm gonna take the the easy way out here <laughs> um my 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 needs are very primal first thing in the morning. I'm very much a morning person, but it's very early and uh the motivation around that first cup of coffee is uh is huge but importantly, it's also um you know as much as my kids are what keep me up at night sometimes uh the 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 threat of my kids getting up is what gets makes me get up early in the morning because the kind of couple hours of quiet time before you know, before they get up is the best and most productive part of the day. <laughs> so that That's the motivation. It's like, if I don't get up now, I don't get my cup of coffee. I don't get that quiet time to myself. Um, and that's, that's more motivating than anything more ephemeral, like industry trends. Uh, <laughs> yes.
1: Absolutely. My response is always, I get charged $20 if, my, if I miss my 6 a.m. gym class. So <laughs> that's what gets me up in the morning.
2: That works too. That works too. <laughs>
1: Awesome. Well, that was great. And it's always just really interesting to learn more about you as a person, as a colleague in the industry. And so with that, we'll kind of move over to more of our topic related questions. And I love kind of how we think about CDPs and data clean rooms. And I laugh often when we're describing our partnership and it's like, come on, the the two coolest buzzwords in our industry today. And so as we think about our technologies, which a lot of it, quite frankly, is educating our industry on exactly what we're solving for. um, And while we're solving for different challenges, how do you see CDPs and clean rooms complementing each other?
2: I think they're both being driven, at least in part, by a shift away from the reliance on third party data, right? And I would argue over reliance on third party data, right? So CDPs are about a shift for brands to first party data, um, being able to make more of their first party data than they have in the past um, with the goal of driving better customer experiences. And then when you layer in the data clean rooms aspect of that, it's about how you collaborate more effectively with other brands um, in, you know, a privacy and you know, privacy conscious and security controlled way. Um, and that's where, you know, the partnership with InfoSim comes into play. And so, you know, I think it's there there are two sides of the same coin in the sense that there shifts away from you know from third-party data and you know these anonymous but highly addressable cookies um that fueled the the internet for the last you know 20 years um and now are going away and so it's it's a big shift but you know i think they're they're very related
1: it definitely is. And, and a lot of the things, and I, I hear this a lot in the industry, is how do we make sure that we're not making the same mistakes that we did before, right? So as the cookies shift away, like, let's not just decide that there's going to be this other, other sort form of currency that's going to solve everything that essentially is just very similar to how a cookie operates. And I think as I think about our partnership together, a lot of the value really drives from your focus on aggregating and building out that strong first-party data journey. Because here at InfoSum, we get asked often of what are your match rates? And I always kind of say, like, there's no prediction. If you, if you send our system a bunch of really bad data, like hopefully your match rates are really low. And so how do we focus and, and build this relationship with partners like Action IQ, who can actually help aggregate and make the most sense of that first party data so that it can be used super efficiently once they move into the clean room technology?
2: Yeah, and I completely agree about the point around not kind of tracing chasing that trend that is the next big thing, but it's going to be, the next version of cookies right and I think that that goes to brands cannot look to replace what they did in the past with new technologies um there's not going to be a one-for-one mapping where they just swap out acronyms right a DMP now becomes a CDP great we're done right and we do the same thing um it's it, it doesn't work like that right there needs to be a shift in strategy how you go about this um and, you know, I don't think everybody's fully uh, recognize that or acknowledge that. And so sometimes there's, you know, just looking for the next thing to fit in the exact slot that existed before. And I think that's the wrong approach. Um, and if brands try to do that, then, you know, in two or three years, they're going to be you know, going through this whole process again as the technology and the privacy landscape shifts once more.
1: Exactly. And we have to, we have to as an industry kind of shift our psyche to some extent to just understand things are going to look different. They're going to continue to look different. So to your point of there's no real like replacement strategy. It's how do we innovate with new technologies to build new strategies of how teams are going to look at their data and their data journeys in the years to come. So I couldn't agree more with that and i mean from your side what what do you what would you want to see more of in our industry in terms of collaboration
2: you mentioned you know we're early on helping customers understand the value of this and how this can be used and deployed and i completely agree because i think a lot of the the technology foundation is there but helping customers better understand how this, you know, ecosystem of new technologies fits into their stack, and how they leverage them in probably a different way, across their different strategies, both acquisition and retention. Um, You know, I I think there needs to be more, more there, right. And as smaller, independent software vendors, um, I think we often are selling to the, the companies that want to build this best-of-breed stack, right? They, they want to take the best new technologies that are available in the market as opposed to going with kind of an all-Adobe or all-Salesforce approach, right? And um, I think as, as vendors, we need to do more to help educate and, and push what this best-of-breed stack looks like yes, how the integration works, but how you leverage it for a very, you know, a cohesive strategy across these different technology partners. Because again, it is complex, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Understanding the technology is complex, understanding the use cases can be complex, um, and we can't oversimplify that. But I think that, you know, our journey on helping customers understand some of that complexity is still relatively um, new.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I would say, I mean, especially without forcing functions from like a privacy standpoint in the US specifically, where, you know, in the UK, we really, we have majority of coverage there because there was that forcing function that is GDPR. And here in the US, I always refer, I mean, we have amazing clients and partners here, but I always say, I I actually took a a massive step back in 2022 to really focus on educating the teams. Like, let's kind of start from square one and even just working across different um businesses across the us on how do we set a standard because i think what happened and very similar for CDPs that's happening for claim rooms is all of a sudden you're like this labeled solution and you're in this box and there's no differentiator it's like every CDP does this every data claim room does this and it's like we really need to take a step back and decide as an industry that's not necessarily the case and so how do we educate everyone about the differences and about what we're specifically solving for as businesses
2: I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more because for us, it's CDP has been, the, the category has been a blessing and a curse, certainly because we are very enterprise focused. You need to be part of a category, you know, as a startup, you don't control the broader market. It's the one thing you need to somewhat get lucky on and just time right. Um, and so CDP is that broader market opportunity for us, which is fantastic. But at the same time, it you know comes with a lot of baggage, just a lot of confusion. Um, you know, I always say if we're in a room of three four people and we ask everybody what a CDP is, we're probably going to get seven different definitions, right? And it's yes. not because people are ignorant or unaware. It's because there's just so many competing definitions. And I don't think that there's ever been a category that was this mature, this established, this hot right now that still really didn't have a well-defined, um, You know a well-defined categorization of some of the vendors right and um you know the, the big analysts gartner and forrester right they've been really slow to react to some of this space and so there's not kind of a source of truth for enterprises to go look to and say okay here's the leaders in this type of cdp versus this right and i'm already talking about different types because there's nuances right and you know, it creates a lot of confusion and a lot of noise. Um, And as a vendor, it's, it becomes difficult to cut through that noise. Um, And then as a buyer, it's just overwhelming. I mean, we see these RFP processes that are just incredibly confused, right? Yes. With every requirement that I've ever heard of, all 600 of them in an RFP doc, and then I'm gonna invite 40 vendors, right? And then we'll score you one point per question, and then that's how we're gonna make a a buying process. Like, that, that doesn't work. Um, it does not so,
1: work
2: it does not work so <laughs> your point right we need to get through some of the nuances of like regardless of what we anybody thinks the cdp does this is what action iq does this is what yes. we can do with our partners these are the types of use cases that we solve for these are our strengths this is where we fit in your stack and those conversations take more time more education right and i think that that's what collectively as we're trying to do and with our partner ecosystem, right? We're trying to drive more of that level of education, um, as opposed to you need to go buy a CDP, right? Everybody knows I need to buy a CDP now, <laughs> especially <laughs> with Alex, one.
1: Yeah, and I laugh to your RFI point. Um, we get a lot of RFPS on our side, and the minute I start reading through it, I'm like, "Oh, you're not looking for a data claim room at all, right?" <laughs> and so I think that just goes to show in terms of how do we make the the ecosystem more aware of what we are solving for? I focus a lot in my day to day role on solutioning, right? What is the problem and what is what are we solving for? And my last point on that, as well is coming back to your point of like being in the CDP category is a blessing and a curse. Similarly here at InfoSum, when I joined the team in 2021, everyone was like, we're not a data clean room. We are a data collaboration layer. And so we kind of bled with that. And then more and more, we were hearing clean room, clean room, clean room. And then as it started getting defined, it was like, that's exactly what we do. I do laugh where it's like that blessing and a curse in terms of, okay, we have to adopt here, but then it's also so different. And so how do we really point out our differentiation and market?
2: Yeah. I mean, it is a necessary evil. I think you have to embrace the big trends um, that are happening. And you know trying to distinguish yourself as not a data clean room but a data collaboration tool and being off kind of in the woods alone in that right that would be very difficult too right um so again it's just something that as vendors we have to do we have to embrace the you know the the term that everybody is coalescing around but then the challenge is really differentiating in that and to your point the the thing i always try to focus when we are talking with clients and prospective clients, or when I'm talking on industry panels, et cetera, um, I really encourage people to start with the problems internally. Right? Don't go try to buy a solution when you haven't really even defined what the problems that you're trying to solve internally. What's your strategy as a brand? What are your challenges and gaps um, to achieving that strategy? And then how does that map into your technology buying decisions? And and importantly, it's not just about the technology, it's again, the people, process, technology, um, organization around it that is gonna be necessary to probably solve that gap and make this overall project successful. So you need to identify those before you then go and say, you know what, I wanna buy a CDP, right? And we've seen the most success when brands have done a lot of that upfront work They know what their priorities are. They know what they're trying to solve for. They might not know how to solve for it. And that's where we can, you know, bridge the gap on the solution side. Um, But they're not just throwing capabilities against the wall, right? And saying, we probably need all these things because we're not sure what we're going to do. You need to do that upfront work.
1: Yeah. That is music to my ears, to be <laughs> to be completely honest. I mean, I think we look at the world very, very similarly as we think about our technology. And I think that kind of leads into, and I'm, I'm actually really excited to hear your response on this, um, especially coming from, you know, employee number one of Action IQ and thinking about your role at the business. But as we look to kind of build a solution, quite frankly, between CDPs and clean rooms, how do you think about where are the areas that we, as you know, two technology vendors in this space, how do you view us being better integrated so that clients can really unlock more ROI?
2: Yeah, so I would go back to, I mean, certainly there's the tactical technical integration, right? And there's always opportunities to look to improve how we make the exchange of data across these ecosystems even more seamless, definitely, absolutely. Um, But I don't think that that's the biggest barrier right now. The biggest barrier right now goes back to what I was saying in terms of understanding how this kind of better together ecosystem of solutions really solves for specific problems that these organizations have or helps them kind of change the way they're approaching some of their marketing and acquisition strategies right and like i said everybody knows they they need a clean room they they want to buy a cdp they know dmps are going away but those are all more technology and capability first statements right and They don't always know kind of where that ties to what they're trying to do within their organization, right? And so again, it it goes back to that better mapping. Let's really help them understand the problem and then understand where we fit. And let's be honest, right? We're not gonna be the full stack, right? So let's get better at more clearly delineating what we do, what we don't do, um, where we really excel as kind of a joint solution or as an ecosystem of solutions. and you know, help to add clarity to this market, right? And I think the problem is sometimes, as we as, as software vendors go out and everything is big grandiose marketing terms, right? And everybody's saying the big grandiose marketing terms, and even you know, data clean rooms and CDPs probably overlap 30% in terms of kind of the the terms we're using and the the marketing speak that we're talking to. Um, and it just adds to that confusion. So I think we, and, and again, that's marketing, so it's fine, right? Um, <laughs> but we need to do more kind of at that next layer down of here's a reference architecture. This is where, you know, we fit within your broader stack. And these are the clear things that we will help solve for. And these are the things we won't solve for and that you need to go and get from elsewhere, or other vendors, um, cloud providers, et cetera. And, yeah. you know, getting better at communicating that I think is the biggest thing.
1: I couldn't agree more. That is definitely a very valid point, and I think to your point, it's also it's not just about the solutioning and the value proposition, which is absolutely a key function of that. But how do we get to that architecture layer? And I know I spend a lot of time with your solutions team uh, and connecting them with our solutions team so we can actually showcase the value, right? And now i'm just brainstorming and really thinking about like of an entire tech stack like how do we call out the specific part that we are solving for um so i'm gonna have a few takeaways after this but (laughs) (laughs) always very helpful um and I, i think that leads really nicely into the next question which you know take take your daughters outside of this answer but identity is really an integral part of kind of marketing strategies. Identity means a lot of things to a lot of teams across our industry. And so what do you really look at and and recommend for brands and advertisers in 2023 to best prepare for the future?
2: Um, This is probably a a biased answer, but I think it's true. Um, And and that's just investing in, in first party data. I think the identity solutions are changing Very rapidly, um, and there's no clear answer moving forward. There, Um, the biggest thing you can do as a brand to hedge against that is invest in that first-party data foundation now, and and again, also the second-party data collaborations as well. Right? How do you kind of extend your own first-party data with strategic partnerships around you know whether it be different advertisers or other brands? but invest in those foundations and those platforms, and make sure that you're doing that in a way such that the identity piece of that can kind of be swapped in and out as the underlying solutions change. Because I think that's what will happen pretty quickly over the course of the next couple of years. And you know, I always tell our team, right? We we're we're not the identity provider, obviously. Um, we work with any number of different identity providers um, in different industries for different use cases. We essentially want to be the framework, the, the neutral Switzerland, to be able to swap in if you want a, you know, a, a new star, or live ramp or trade desk and Axiom, or, you know, you have identity from an internal system, right? Like, it doesn't matter. And you need to have the platform in place such that you can flexibly swap in and out different solutions. Um, but I think that's going to be really important because those solutions... And what's effective in a rapidly changing um, market and space right now, I think, are going to evolve over the next couple of years. And so you want to really future-proof that. And you do that by, again, shifting to first-party data and focusing on building solutions that aren't completely centered around the notion of identity, but that actually have kind of a flexible framework to move different identities in and out
1: yes and we view the world the same exact way where we're definitely taking an agnostic approach we never want to be an identity partner we don't want to own data like we want to be that infrastructure layer to really power solutions based off that first party data and of course you know we work with a slew of identity partners that are in our ecosystem if if clients you know want to leverage them within our tool but we view the world very similarly in that lens as well. And I laugh a lot about my career as I think about it. I kind of started in data, then I worked in in an identity provider for quite some time, and now really focusing on this first party data strategy and the importance of it for the future of our industry is, it's a really exciting place to be, quite frankly, and it's new and it's scary for some teams. And it's, you know, how do we help coach and guide teams to understand the value and, and just get people People more comfortable with that as we continue to evolve
2: yeah and to the you know identity provider piece right we we get asked a lot um you know, one do we have a preferred vendor we work with but i think the and the answer is no um but we often will get asked as well is there is there an identity provider that works best right and again that is i think the wrong question to be asking because if you invest in the platforms in the right way then you know you're less centric around that identity provider and you can swap them in and out more easily and as those evolve over time which i really think they will um you know you're not you're not completely all in on one provider so i I think that's the the shift that that brands need to make is that it's the identity piece is important i'm not saying it's not um But uh, you shouldn't center your strategy around the identity. You should center your strategy around the platforms and the ecosystem, and then plug in identity as a, as that evolves over time.
1: Exactly. It's very supplemental, um, yeah. but it shouldn't be kind of that foundation. It's... To your point, like exactly identity is a critical part of our <laughs> ecosystem. And I, I don't see identity going away. Um, potentially the way that it's being leveraged today will absolutely change, but identity is a really important piece of of what we're doing. And for us being more on this technology side, how do you you know really drill down on that first party data strategy and then supplement it with identity vendors, with data partners to drive the most value of what you've already built?
2: Yeah, and I think the the shift in identity will also be driven by where brands and advertisers are spending their dollars based on where consumers are, right? And so we've seen a big shift in the last five plus years of more and more dollars are just going to the walled gardens, right? So I think what you'll start to see is identity is going to be owned by this subset of these walled gardens, right? And there's certainly yeah. going to be identity products that try to span across them, but the, the, as more and more of the dollars go to the Googles and the Facebooks and these big, you know, advertising networks, um, that are very much closed ecosystems, they're going to create their own notion of identity. And there's going to be more and more solutions that figure out how to plug into their notion of identity. Um, but it's going to be a very localized identity. So again, it's not that there's going to be one ID that just spans across the entire internet, right? I, I think that that's, wow. that's a pipe dream. Um, But what you're going to have is you're going to have, you know, the ability to plug into Google's identity and Facebook's identity and the Trade Desk's identity. And if you have the right platforms, you can do that in a flexible way, such that, you know, you can target across any one of those using their notion of identity, but you haven't really been forced to consolidate on one identity partner.
1: Yeah. I think that's a really great idea and and just a great way to kind of view that as we think about identity. Um, And I think you know, as we think about looking at first party data strategies kind of being the first step that I, I believe you and I are very aligned on in terms of what teams need to do in the ecosystem is really solidifying what that first party data is going to look like, how they're gonna aggregate it, what it is going to mean. How should the industry really be viewing empowering our consumers to take control of their data, so that we can build a more powerful ecosystem?
2: I think it's a combination of transparency, certainly, um, and I know a lot has been said around transparency, and certainly there's been a lot of progress lately in how you know products and services are using people's data and making them opt into that. Um, But not really right like it's very kind of generic transparency right now um and the flip side of that transparency i think there needs to be a better awareness on the consumers on the value that they're getting from these products by sharing their data and that's where you see still a very big gap right people assume that okay this brand is collecting my data and they're doing bad things with it well you know they're, they're helping give you a better experience in their products and services, and you know, that's, that's a value exchange. And then in some cases, like where maybe it's not a brand, but it's like you know, a, a tech company. Um, well, those tech companies like Facebook, they were built around the notion of leveraging data, and that's their product, right? And people don't fully realize that. So how many of the services that you use on a day-to-day basis that people spend their time in that are free because they're sharing that data, um, you know. And the 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 every all these tech companies increasingly now that money's not free, it's not 2021, right? Everybody's looking for efficiency and a shift to, you know, more sustainable business models, even tech companies. Um, and as part of that, you know, if they can't monetize the data that they're getting on their users, they're going to have to introduce different commercial models. Is it, you know, is Facebook going to cost $30 a month? Right. Well, people would be up in arms. Right. And, but if that's the alternative to sharing your data with Facebook and allowing them to target you based on that, then that might be the case. Right. And I don't know anything about Facebook, right? Like I'm not, I'm just using that as an example, um, caveat, but you know, I don't think people realize how much these tech companies, commercial and business models were based on leveraging data. Um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? So consumers need to you know, raise their level of awareness and realize that actually my data is valuable. And if there's an exchange of value for products and services that I'm using, and I'm able to give them my data that's valuable for that company, and I get to use a product that I care about, that is you know, essentially like paying a subscription fee for that product, and I might prefer that, right? And so I think we need to get to this more nuanced, more nuanced transparency on the brand and product side, but then also more nuanced, you know, awareness and understanding on the consumer side that, you know, data is an asset and sharing it with the right companies is not a bad thing, right? It's part of the, you know, the currency that drives the internet and all the products and services that are built on that, at least right now, right? Yeah.
1: And that is so true and i think i always think about the gap when i try of a lot of you know friends and family that always ask me what i do for a living and when i try to explain it they're basically they jump immediately to oh you're listening to me and you know like that's always kind of like the gut reaction and it's very much a like let's take a step back, right? Like, let's think about your viewing behaviors and everything that you're doing. And every time you're entering a website, if you're clicking accept, right? And let's think about the value of that data. And for me, I've always been fascinated by it in terms of like, I I always say, I'm like, I will give everyone my data. Like, I want to see what I'm gonna get targeted for, quite frankly, because I'm just fascinated by some of the marketing that comes my way. So I think it's a really good point, though, of how do we how do we start educating the consumer, right? Like we live in a little bit of a bubble in terms of our industry. And for us, it's second nature. But for, you know, the majority of the population, how do we really educate them and make sure that they're aware of what is really going on?
2: Yeah, I mean, it it comes back to being an exchange of value, right? And yeah. it really is a transaction. And if people were to Go and you know pay a dollar for something or you know use apple pay to pay for something in a store they understand that that's an exchange right um and whatever they're getting is presumably maybe inflation aside right is worth (laughs) what they're paying for it um and i don't think people view sharing their data in the same way and i think we need to get to that level of understanding again both the brands and the consumers to really be able to understand what situations are worth in what situations are not and have control over that.
1: Definitely. And I know we are coming up against time, so I'm going to ask one more question and then we'll do our wrap up. But, you know, we've, we've talked about a lot of different subjects, a lot of different topics and, and categories here. But from your view, what would your prediction be of the future of data collaboration and privacy? And where do you kind of see our industry headed in the next you know, five to 10 years?
2: Five to 10 years is a tough one. Um, <laughs> I <gotta say>. AI! <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I think that it's gonna be more critical. Um, like I said, I think there needs to be more understanding, more awareness, more transparency, Um, and I think there needs to be more product and services that support that kind of exchange and transparency across consumers and and brands. Um, So I think you're going to see, and I think, I certainly think that we are part of the first wave of those technologies, but there's going to be kind of, uh, you know, a number of things that we're not even considering now that help better enable that exchange of value. Um, and the, the other thing I'd say is that I do think it'll get more difficult to really understand how your data is being used. Um, and you know we're at the beginning of this kind of generative AI wave, right? And we've been talking about AI for years, um, but it does feel like we're really at an inflection point now. And while that's exciting, um, it also just makes understanding how that data is being used that much harder. Explainable AI is hard. Um, And certainly with this kind of new generative AI, why it's saying certain things, recommending certain things is nearly impossible to fully understand. Right. Um, Even for the people creating the model, not just for the consumers, but for the people creating the model, explainable AI is very difficult to achieve. And so as AI becomes more powerful um, and as kind of the decisions that that underpin that AI, Become more and more abstracted, and we feed it more and more data. How do we maintain that connection? Um, I think there's going to be some real challenges in that, especially as people think about how do I want to contribute to this collective consciousness of AI. Right? Do I want my data to be part of that? Do I want people to be able to ask questions about me individually? And if the answer is no, how do I pre- prevent that? And then from the you know the vendor product company standpoint, how do I create services on top of this AI that really support that level of control for the individual consumer. Um, that's, that's going to be hard. There's going to be some real challenges there, both from a, you know, understanding awareness, a privacy law standpoint, but then also just from a technology standpoint, because that is not where we're at in terms of the maturity of that technology. So it's exciting, right? But I think it's also, um, you know, we need to be, we need to be aware that this is going to drive some pretty big changes and the technology is not quite mature enough to be able to support um, the level of control that we need. And so it's going to be a balance, right? And I think the next five to 10 years will be an interesting to see play out what that balance is.
1: Definitely. And I always say it's, we'll just buckle up, right? Because I always laugh. I mean, if I look back five to 10 years, I probably wouldn't have predicted that we are where we are now. So it is. Uh, it's always exciting. I think that's part of the the fun and the drive of people in our industry because we're we're always up for a change and we always know something new is around the corner and we're going to we're going to brace ourselves and we're going to kind of tackle that together so yep
2: those part of the trends happen faster and faster and faster so
1: they sure do <laughs> Awesome. So, I mean, I have loved talking to you so much. This has been a really great and valuable session. I always love when we have different team members on the podcast and I just learned so much. But as we kind of wrap up, is there anything that you feel you haven't covered that you want to say as we come to a close here?
2: I don't know that it's I haven't said it because I think I've said a lot (laughs) for better or for worse. But I, I will, I guess I'll just reiterate that, um, you know, you, there were a lot of good, interesting nuanced kind of topics and discussion. Um, and it. I think a lot of it comes down to this isn't just going to be about technology. And I try to keep reminding people of that, that it's about how we embrace how to use different technologies, how we, you know, raise awareness for how those technologies are being used, um, you know, how we... You know use data in a responsible ethical privacy conscious way right Um, technologies can be enablers of that right and i've no doubt that that will be the case um but it's about you know again that people the process the organization the privacy laws this very large interconnected ecosystem of how we approach data whether it be for customer experiences whether it be for ai Um, you know, whether it just be for brands, understanding their customers, right. It all comes back to this data. Um, and that's not just a technology, um, problem to solve.
1: I love that. And that was a great way to kind of. (laughs) think about how to sum this all up perfectly. So thank you so much. And we will end with our last question, which is looking at people that you admire in the industry, who would you nominate for us to interview in an upcoming episode of Identity Architects?
2: Yeah, this one's tough, um, in part because I don't know who you've had on the podcast in the past, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I, I'll, I'll, I'll throw it out there. Um, I have a good friend, Osmar Olivo, um, who is head of product at a company called Inrupt, I-N-R-U-P-T. And Inrupt is doing some very interesting things kind of from the data privacy, but creating platforms that really enable um, consumers to take a very different approach to sharing their data with brands. Um, The company was uh was uh, founded by Tim berners-lee the founder of the world wide Web and the internet right so like it has a very you know next gen uh, approach to how they're solving some of these challenges but they're they're building some really cool systems and taking a really novel approach to this um and so you know it'd be I think it'd be good to kind of understand the the lens through the lens of some of these questions um you know what's what's their take on it
1: Awesome, we definitely will take you up and and reach out, and we'll see if we can get them on the podcast, which would be I'll great. Make the
2: intro. I got the hookup.
1: <laughs> awesome. Well, truly, thank you so much, Justin. This was awesome, and I hope you enjoyed our conversation as we think about all things what comes next, and excited to continue to grow our partnership with Action IQ.
2: Yeah, likewise. Thanks, Val. I really enjoyed the conversation.
0: Thanks again to Justin for joining us on Identity Architects. Data clean rooms and customer data platforms, or DCRs and CDPs, two of the hottest three-letter acronyms in our industry today. So it was fascinating to hear Justin's views on the synergy between those two technologies and how they're enabling organizations to unlock the full value of their first party data today. All that leaves me to do is to remind you to hit that subscribe button so you know when the next episode of Identity Architects lands. But until then, thanks for listening.